So we find ourselves still in Romans, even though we're having a family Sunday, we want to continue on with our study in Romans. And today we're going to have a insightful Sunday as we deal with some key areas in our life that we need to understand if we are able to respond to what Christ has given in such a way that we grasp what it means and how it applies to us personally. Now, last year, actually last week, Pastor Eric talked about this particular issue of justification and reconciliation. And we talked about that justification is a word that refers to our position before God in terms of legally. So it's the concept or idea we call innocent. Okay, no, we call it not guilty. So we find us not guilty before God. God has provided for us legally so that we can stand before him and say you're not guilty because someone else has paid your debt. But secondly, God doesn't just stop there with this not guilty sentence before us. He also moves us to a place where he reconciles with us. To reconcile with somebody means that a relationship that was broken has been brought back. Okay, so he's pulled us back together, and now we are reconciled personally with God. So now he responds to us as a father to a son and a daughter. And when we read the scriptures, we should read them with that insight in mind. That this is God speaking to his son or his daughter, trying to help us understand how life works and how we can enter into life in a special and powerful way. So we talked about these issues about grace, this wonderful reconciliation, this wonderful justification and peace that we have with God. So we have this relationship with him that's encompassing both grace, this undeserved favor from God because he just wants to give it to us, and peace that's the result of what he has done for us. Now, we walked through some specific areas. We talked about how suffering in our life, if we choose to respond to it with perseverance, will develop character. And the result of character is we'll find ourselves being a hopeful people. We'll find ourselves living and walking with hope on a regular basis. So smiles will be our dominant position when we relate to people. We'll find ourselves full of joy because we recognize God's going to do something special. We have hope. And without hope... Life is full of misery. It's just not enjoyable. It's not a good thing. So God desires to grant us hope in our life. Today, today we're going to learn about two key areas. One that we mentioned before about grace. But secondly, we're going to talk more specifically about sin. Now, how many of you use the word sin on a regular basis in your vocabulary talking with people? Exactly. We don't use that word very much. Even with our kids, we don't normally say, you just sin, knock it off. They look at you like, what? What are you talking about? So we're going to try to get a handle on what sin is, and then we're going to talk about what grace is. Okay? And being gracious to one another, or being filled with grace responses, grace thoughts, grace actions towards one another. Did you ever wonder... When sin came into the world, if that's the reason that dessert is bad for you. (laughs) See, I think before sin came into the world, broccoli tasted like strawberries. (laughs) And there were no calories at all in pie. Sound right to you too? I'm looking forward to that special day when I can stand before the Lord and enjoy that. See, the Bible teaches us in relationship to sin... Well, turn to Romans chapter 5, and let's see exactly what it teaches. Romans chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 12. You have some outlines okay, that are inside your bulletin that will help you immensely. It's got the entire Romans 5 section in it as well. 
to understand what we're talking about when we use terms like sin and terms like grace. Sin and grace. So starting with verse 12, Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read. and I'm going to try to help us get a reasonable handle on it. And then after that, we'll talk more specifically about the concepts and ideas that are presented here in Romans chapter 5. So Romans 5, starting with verse 12 through 29. I'm using an NLT version, so it'll be a little different than your NIV, because it's easier to read with and understand. Okay, that's why I'm doing that today. Usually I'll use an NIV, today I'm using an NLT, so you'll have a few words you go, oh, that was a little different. That's okay, it's simply a clearer translation in terms of reading. All right, here we go. When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Now, Adam's sin brought death, and death spread to everybody and everything. That's the concept here, brought to everybody and everything. For everyone and everything sinned. You'll understand this idea in a minute. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it wasn't counted or seen as sin. They didn't know it was sin. It's like your parents setting up a rule. Until they make the rule, you say, well, it was okay for me to do that. Well, it really wasn't. But once they set the rule, you knew for sure that it was wrong. You were going to get docked for that. All right? So he said it wasn't counted. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol He's a representation of Christ who was to come. Okay? And there's a symbol representation that talks about, in this case, he's an anti-type. He's the opposite of what happened with us with Adam. The opposite will happen with us with Christ. The word sin here, so I'm going to stop for a minute and walk through these verses for a second. The word sin is, is the word armatia. Can you say that? Say armatia. It simply means to miss the mark. It means to miss the mark. Say, well, what do you mean miss the mark? It means you failed to accomplish your purpose. It means you miss the final shot in the game. They go up. There's one second left. He fires. It's eh, no good. You lose. He missed the shot. Armatia. Okay? He missed the shot. He failed his purpose. He was not what he needed to be at that point in time. And another concept is the car won't start. Armatia. Oh, sin. The car won't start. It won't accomplish its purpose. The roof leaks. It's not accomplishing its purpose. That's the idea when it refers to this concept of sin. It's about brokenness. So when he uses that term, that's the picture he's trying to help us understand. It's also the concept of you didn't pay the bill with the money you received to pay the bill. So I gave Heather $100 to pay the electric bill, and she went out and got herself a brand new skirt. It was nice, though. It was $100. That was nice. Yeah. But the bill didn't get paid. She sinned. Hey, Armatia, she sinned. She failed her purpose. She missed the mark. Does that begin to make sense to you? But he's nodding. Okay, good. So I hope you're getting this now. Okay, now, the Bible teaches that Adam passes on the sin of death to everybody. Now, what he means is this. Everybody dies, right? We all know that, don't we? We all know that everybody dies. And we say, well, why does everybody die? The Bible tells us that we received Adam's DNA. We understand this concept of DNA? Something you pass on down. So you can tell who my son is by my DNA. 
Well, Adam passes on this DNA to us, and when he passed it on, that DNA contained an element or a gene that demanded mortality and death. So no longer, when we were born, were we born to live forever. Instead, we were born to what? Die. So we started death as soon as we were born. The day I was born, I started down the trail to death. In fact, for many of us who have experienced difficult times, we see in our children, our babies die early on. And they still die. So that sin was not something they'd done wrong. It was something they inherited as a result of what Adam did. Got that? Now, that's a big deal because it helps you understand what Christ does for us in relationship to sin and death. Oh, I got a new guy. Hey. I thought he was going to come up and share or something. I don't know. Win some, you lose some. Okay. So, we also begin to realize that all of mankind has come under judgment and condemnation because of their own sin, Armatia, when they miss the mark. Heather failed to pay the bill. You know, I failed to to care for my wife the way that God told me to care for her. I failed to appropriately guide my children at a a particular time. I didn't do a number of things and I did do some other things that I should have should not have done. So we have omission and commission when you talk about sin, things that I didn't do that I should have and things I did do that I shouldn't have. Hey, got it. So that's sin. That's the picture of what sin is. There's two separate aspects of the consequences of sin that Paul is talking about here. One, it's a punishing penalty of sin. We call that death. Okay? So that's one. But secondly, there's a debilitating power of sin. It's an enslaving, a corrupting, an insidious emotional power that brings with it sinful thoughts and attitudes and actions that are produced in our heart and we find ourselves being angry at people and upset and wanting to hit them and yell at them and call them names and steal money and do all these things, we go, where did that come from? That comes from sin that resides within us that we inherited from Adam, but then we act on that sin and we become what we refer to as sinners. How many of you are sinners here? Good. See, the rest of you are liars. We get that. We understand that. That's the process. So we begin to comprehend that sin is something that we find ourselves not just inheriting with death, but that we respond to at a very early time in our life, and we become enslaved to it, is what Paul says. This power literally enslaves us. Someone put it this way. The law, or sin itself, expressed in the law, clarifying it, crushes us. But grace cures us. Grace cures us. Paul here talks about two different kingdoms. Okay, two different kingdoms. One is a kingdom that refers to self and sin, and the other is a kingdom that refers to grace and Jesus. Okay, we're going to get into that a little bit more as we walk it. Adam's kingdom is one that's filled with sin. We inherit sin, and then we continue to struggle with these issues of sin. That's what begins to happen to us. Now, the Bible goes on to say, as we read in this next section, that now the law comes into play. So the law comes into play, and this Ten Commandments, everybody know the Ten Commandments? I'll make you say them all. No, we won't do that. 
You get, so you got these Ten Commandments. You go, okay, we have these Ten Commandments, and they help us to understand what sin is. We go, oh, okay, I didn't honor my father or my mother. I, I, I actually hurt somebody. I had anger towards them. I may have killed somebody. I mean, you go on down through the line, the different things that we're responsible for, what we did wrong. And that clarifies, clarifies how sin is seen and affects us. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. So just as we receive death from Adam in a similar way, we all can receive life from Jesus. And that's the last thing he says. He says, Adam was a prototype of Jesus. But through Adam, we receive sin automatically. We don't work for it. We just get it. We die. But through Jesus, it says we don't work for what he's going to give us. But we gain new life because of what he has done. So in the same way that Adam gives us sin, Jesus gives us life. But then he goes on to say, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift or gift of grace. The sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. We got that, right? But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. For the result of God's gracious gift is very different than the result of the one man's sin. So we're introduced to grace. For the first time, Paul begins to bring in this concept of grace. Another word for grace, I'll use this because it's used by a writer. I think it does a good job with it. It's called one-way love. Can you say that? Say one-way love. So when it says, when it says what is grace, you need to say one-way love. This is God's love coming towards me. He provides it to me. He gives it to me. It's one-way love. That's what grace is. Undeserved favor. Given to you because he loves you. When we receive grace, this marvelous potion that we can take, it removes guilt from our life. It removes shame. It removes impending death. And it renews us in our relationship with God and our ability to do the right thing. Suddenly I find myself forgiven I find guilt gone, and I find God walking with me and saying, Okay, Lee, now, let's do that again the right way. Let's do that over the right way. So this new grace-filled process that God pours into a life we'll call the grace kingdom. Uh, there was a recent movie out. It's called Live, Die, Live Again. All, I've, I've concluded almost every movie that becomes somewhat of a hit has great Christian overtones in it. In this particular movie, what happened was the person dies as a result of a war situation, but he gets blood on him from an alien creature, okay? And that blood somehow allows him to be revived back in time and go back to where he was before, where he can change what happens to him when he gets back to this war situation and duck out of the way and be able to stop death from overtaking him. Now, that sounds... Awfully lot like the picture of Jesus giving his blood up for us so that we can receive his DNA in our life. And the result is we are able to just be renewed, forgiven, and we get to kind of go back to that point in time where we failed and redo it. So we get this kind of do-overs, do-overs, do-overs. All the time we get a chance to be renewed before God and then to take that mistake we made, take care of it, and not fall into that problem again. All this scripture tells us we have to do to be restored is to keep receiving the gift of forgiveness and hope and renewal. 
We're to use it to get better at living in this grace kingdom. The mistake I find with many, many Christians is we fail to understand that the reason we've been given grace, the reason that Jesus did all this is so that we can keep getting better. It's not about you condemning yourself for what you've done. It's about you saying, boy, I did wrong. Forgive me, Lord. And once you're forgiven, now start doing right and keep doing it until you can get it right. And as you do it right, then you move to the next level. And that's called SPCH. We just talked about it. Suffering, perseverance, character, hope. See the picture? And that's what's going on in life. Jesus pours grace in your life and he says, look it, I want to help you to become a better person. So use my grace so that you might become better. Let me, let me give you an example because I think this is a fun thing. I got some fun here. All right. So Jesus walks up and he says, okay, you guys, man, you know, what, what do you, what's going on in your life? I go, oh, boy, Lord, you know, I, I, really, I really need, you know, I, you don't need a dollar. I, I really need a dollar. Yeah, I, I, I desperately want, you know, some, something because I've, you know, because I blew it and I, I went over here, and, and Heather spent $100 on that, so we better give her 20 You know, and, and we got this over here, and we can keep the five and get away the one there. Go, oh, and here's, here's one for you, and hang it on down. And you go, oh, man, and then you say, oh, doggone, you know, I blew it again. I only got one. I, I only got, oh, on this case here, you can blow it. No, here, I have a five. You blow it here, I have another one. Oh, you blow it here, here, I have another one. Oh, you too, have it. And then somebody gets a payday. We go, okay. The, the great thing about grace is it just keeps on giving. And the point of the gift is for you to spend it to get better. God doesn't give it to you for you to sit there and say, well, I've been forgiven, but I'm just so bad. God says, you've been forgiven. Use that to get better. Begin to build grace in your life and give that grace out to others. Now, somebody got a dollar. I want you to turn and give that dollar, five dollars to the person behind you. There you go. And if you guys decide you want to later, you can give it back. That's your call. (laughs) Hey, it was free. It was free. God pours grace into our lives so we'll give it out to other people. It's free. Why do we hang on to it? Be a grace giver. Give it to the next one. God says, I forgave you these huge debts. Forgive somebody else their debts. Pass it on. Enjoy this wonderful, glorious place where we can forgive one another as he has forgiven us. Because before I became a Christian, I couldn't forgive anybody. And I didn't want to forgive anybody. But the change that happens, the DNA change, the transformation is what God desires to do in our life. The gift is given to spend For this sin, this sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But God's wondrous, glorious grace and his gift of righteousness all receive it, live in triumph over sin and over death. They cause grace to rule in their lives and to pour out into the lives of others. We were ruined by sin, but we were rescued by Christ. The law crushes us, but grace, grace cures us. See, Jesus' act covers many sins of many people, even though he's the only one that gives up his life. Adam's sin brought death to everybody. But the life we inherit from Adam is temporary. It won't last. 
The sin we commit condemns us to death and separation from our relationship with God. But when we recognize Jesus' provision, when we understand what has happened, we turn to him, he gives us instant reconciliation, instant justification. He pours out his grace in our life and he says, now receive it, enjoy it, and give it to others around you. Be grace kingdom livers. Live out this unending life that God desires for you to show. Yes, he says, Adam's one sin is trespass. Brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings reconciliation, a right relationship with God, and new life for everyone. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules. His grace rules instead. It gives us right standing with God and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we begin to go, oh, it's about grace rules now, not sin rules. He says, don't allow yourself to any longer live under sin rules. Live under grace rules. Enjoy the grace that he wants to pour into your life. The cure that he has given. The DNA, the blood that changes all of our blood and causes us to respond to one another. Don't be afraid to give grace. Pour it out on everyone around you. And God will renew it in you. You spend 20, he'll give you 40. You spend 100, he'll give you 200. That's how the new kingdom works. That's how it all comes together. Just as sin ruled before, now let grace rule. So we explain these scriptures. That was our, that's our scriptures for today. We explained them, laid them all out. But what does that mean exactly? What are these concepts or conclusions that Paul is trying to bring to us about grace rules and sin rules? Well, let's flip over the page in your outline. He's going to help us understand this concept. I want us to get a hold of this concept of sin rule and grace rule. And if you can get this, it will change your life. It's very, very hard to play any game or run any business if you don't know the rules. Isn't that true? Man, it's so hard. You keep being called out because you stepped out of bounds when you didn't know there wasn't out of bounds. You go, what's that all about? Why can't I stand here in the key for 15 seconds? What do you mean? Three seconds in the key. Who, who brought up that rule? What do you mean I can't dribble and stop and dribble and stop? It? What are you talking about? What do you mean I can't push the guy out of the way until the whistle blows? Well, there's all these rules. But if you understand the rules, then you're able to enjoy the game and play it appropriately. Sin rules, however, are always tough rules. You see, Adam's choice to follow after sin brought sin into this world and it produced death to the earth and all the people. Here's the big term I want you to get. Broken earth, broken people. Say it with me. Broken earth, broken people. When somebody talks about issues in our world, why did this happen or why did that happen? I just say that. I say, broken earth, broken people. I go, huh? I said, the problem's me. The reason that we have hate and disgust and death and all this bad stuff in the world is because of me. It's because there's sin in my life and I choose not to respond appropriately and allow grace to rule instead. I let sin rule. I get greedy. I don't want to play by the rules God set, so I play by the rules that sin has set up and I receive the result of that and it's not a good result. We're broken. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation groans cries out for redemption. The trees are groaning and saying, redeem us, God. The rocks are crying out, redeem us, God. The whole earth is saying, we're so tired of these storms and these floods. 
We're so over these earthquakes and all this stuff. God, redeem us. That's what's going on. The whole earth is doing that. We're seeing these things, people dying in Texas from the floods. And the creation is crying out, we don't want to do this. God, we're broken. And we as people are broken in the midst of it. We find ourselves going, well, do I save this person and maybe die myself or do I save myself? And you know what we usually do? We save ourselves. We save ourselves. Because it's just, it's just so hard. And so we call a person who doesn't save themselves, what do we call them? A hero. A hero because they did something that's not normal. They didn't let sin rule. They let grace rule instead. And we recognize that in this powerful way. Sin brought a curse to all the earth. It's damaged the springs, the rivers, the lakes, the water, the oceans are contaminated. The forests are being raised. Animal species are becoming extinct. God had told Adam, since you listened to your wife and you ate from this tree whose fruit I command you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. Broken people, broken world. Say it. Broken people, broken world. That's our struggle. Death is always the end result of sin. Death to hope, death to legacy, death to vision, death to family. When we allow sin to rule in our life, death is the result. doesn't matter. It will always end up that way if we let sin rule. It kills human relationships. So we see this abuse and we go, how can someone abuse a child like that? How can someone respond to a woman like that? What is going on here? Why well, can there be so much hate and bitterness in their heart? What is wrong with them? I'll tell you what's wrong with them. Sin is ruling. And the more they give themselves over to sin, the power of sin keeps corrupting more and more and more. Because every time you give more into sin, it takes over more in your life. When you choose not to forgive, you're choosing sin. You're not choosing grace. And it will affect you. I guarantee it. It will break you down because sin is, will enslave you. It is a terrible taskmaster. And it loves to bring death. That's his desire. That's his intention. Broken people, broken world. Social relationships, nations, corruption, oppression, exploitation, violence, slavery, the search and desire for power and dominion. This is the manifestation of sin's reign. That's why it's here. Someone asked me, why are there prisons? What's your answer? Sin. Sin. Don't pick on the guy. Sin. He allowed sin to come into his life and destroy him. And we can do the same if we choose to. Either sin can rule in your life or grace can rule in your life. Simple picture, because as I said, all movies have the same thing. Snow White, Wicked Witch. What does the Wicked Witch give Snow White to bring death to her? Yeah, the red apple. Here comes the apple. Looks good, doesn't it? Oh, that looks good. I'm going to grab it. Oh, oh, I even tasted good. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And that's exactly what sin does in our life. It looks good. It even tastes good. But the result is death. It's poison. It's poison. And every time we think, well, maybe this time it's not. Maybe this time I can do this and it'll be okay. No. It will always end up that way. That is what it is. The fruit of sin always brings about destruction. The fruit of the sin, it says, is sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, 
envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins just like these. See, that's the picture of those who choose to live in the kingdom of sin rather than the kingdom of God. And he says, don't allow yourself to be fallenness. When sin reigns, the results are chaos, confusion, addiction. When sin rules, sin reigns. If you go why sin rules, sin will rule you. It will reign in your life and it will destroy you. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us here in this area. That's what he's trying to help us understand that's taking place in our lives. The breakdowns, the imbalance, the maladjustments, all these things within ourselves are the result of sin that's created this disorder rather than order. Chaos rather than cosmos, from which you get cosmopolitan and, and the beautiful women that we look upon because they do such a good job with their makeup. And we go, man, they put it all together. Well, that's the picture of God. He's put together an orderly thing, but it's become disordered and chaos. And I'm just going to leave it right there. Okay. Sin is missing the mark. It's broken. It's separated. It's trespassing. It's both commission and omission. And the Bible teaches that the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts and the actions which are sinful will enslave us. And the power of sin is so powerful. It's like a powerful person. It's the wicked witch that says, now I have you. And you will do whatever I tell you to do. And we become robots responding to the will of the one who controls in relationship to sin. But the wondrous thing of grace is completely different. It's completely, completely different. But before we do that, I want you to see one of these things. There's a marvelous, wonderful man whose life was a legacy to Christ and of his work and change in his life. His name was Louis Zamperini. Great guy, Olympic athlete, etc. But he didn't become a Christian until later on in his life. And it changed everything. His life is one of miracle after miracle of God touching him and touching him and touching him, trying desperately to bring him to him until he finally gets him at a fairly young age and he turns his life over to Christ. But in the beginning, this Olympic athlete finds himself serving in the Air Force, shot down in the air, but he doesn't die. Instead, they're able to land in the water and he finds himself in the raft, dying. He's going, okay, so I was saved so I can die on this raft in the middle of the ocean. And then... Up comes a vessel. Hallelujah. We're going to be saved. They look up at the vessel and it's Japanese warriors in the vessel. They're going to take them and take them to a prison and put them into a prison camp where a person who is leading it is so filled with sin that his life has become one of total abuse of everyone and everything. I want you to see a little teeny scene of this. This is taking place in a prison camp that illustrates just one of the incidents that happened to Lewis while he was waiting for God's call in this prison camp. Let's watch it. Sin becomes a power that strikes us and calls us, you're nothing. You're worth nothing. You're worse than nothing. And it becomes embodied within ourselves. And brings destruction to us. When the sole desire of running that race for them was to show his weakness in his present state. And that he couldn't even beat somebody who wasn't even a particularly good runner. He'd been broken down so thoroughly. Now, Lewis's life continues from this point on and it gets worse. Amazingly enough, he's set free from this camp. 
He's brought back to the States. He comes back to his wife. He has a relationship there, but he becomes an alcoholic. He's struggling with alcoholism and not sure what to do until one day everything changes. One day he meets grace. You see, the grace rules that God sets down here is the opportunity to have spirit and life within us. When we receive grace, forgiveness begins to pour into our lives and pours out of our lives. Love pours into our lives and pours out of our life. We give grace because in order to live, we must be grace givers. And these grace fruits become love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. It's the cry of grace given to us from God Himself and saying, I just keep giving it and giving it to you so that you might give out to others. It's this one-way love. It's not quid pro quo. It's not God saying, if you do this, I'll do that. It's not God saying, because you didn't do this, this is going to happen to you. No, it's God's love pouring out into our lives regularly, consistently, because He loves us. And when grace reigns, the results in life are constant renewal, constant do-overs, constant hope. As we seek to become more and more like Him, we live, we die, we live again. We die, we live again. And that's the cry of grace as I find myself fallen before the cross of Jesus. And I go, once again, Lord, I come to you and ask you to forgive me. And he forgives, but not just that. He pours grace into my life that begins to overflow into other people's life as well. So he talks about this wonderful, marvelous, overwhelming grace. He says this grace is so incredibly powerful that it finds itself flowing in and out and through our lives. He says, let the peace of Christ reign, rule in your life. Let it become that which is primary in your life. Because when you do that, well, let me give you an illustration. Because I, I just think it was great. It was a fun thing, although Quentin won't think so. Recently, we had a situation in which someone living close by me, they, they had a new washer put into their upstairs apartment, which has another apartment and another one below them. And after they put that in... And left it on. The result was overflowing grace. Not only did it pour into the basin. Holding the water for the washer. With nobody in the house. But it began to overflow out of that basin. And through the, wa- through the floors. And down to the next house. Where the other person put down buckets. To try and receive this overflowing grace. Until someone came to turn off the water of grace. And stop the flow. But that's the picture. He uses ekperisu is the word he used there about this overflowing grace. He says, it's so incredible that you find yourself not just wet and dripping, but you're dripping everywhere. Everywhere you walk, it gets wet. Everything you encounter gets wet with the grace and wonder of God. And that's what happens to Louis Sambrini. It's exactly what happened to him. So he finds himself at this point in his life where he's ready to give up. He's suicidal, and his wife says, if you don't want me to leave you, 
you will go to this crusade and listen to this guy. Let's watch this clip. This is the real story, and it's the real Louis Zambri. Watch it. You see, the lesson that we need to learn today is that we can either let sin rule in our life or we can let grace rule in our life. And the choice is yours. God offers you the opportunity to allow grace to flow in and through you and to others or to allow you to become one whom sin rules and grace does not flow in you and it does not flow out of you. It was Billy Graham who said this statement, the strongest principle of life and blessing lies in this, our choice. For our life is the sum result of all the choices we make, both consciously and unconsciously. And so I encourage you today, as we finish up this time, I'm going to ask Pete to come up. I encourage you to make the choice that you'll stand before God and say, Lord, I choose grace. For some of you young ones, it's a great opportunity to say, I choose grace. So those of you that want to do that, why don't you just say that with me? Say, I choose grace. All together, I choose grace. And that's choosing to follow Jesus. He'll come into your life, and as Lewis said, everything just changes. Suddenly, I'm a conduit for God's grace if I choose to be. Let's pray. Father, this day, as we think about these things and spend a little bit of time listening, we'd ask that you might help us to respond to your grace, to receive it into our lives, and to give up our choice to not forgive, to give up our choice to be bitter, to give up our choice to be right. Lord, today we come to you because we don't want sin to reign in our life. We want you to reign. We want grace to reign. As hard as it can be at times, let grace reign. Reign in us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you as you do that. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you are making that choice. We're going to take an offering in just a minute. God set aside some funds to you. You're supposed to give. All you guys that gave you that money, you should put. No, don't, don't.